Calgary is home to world-class multi-sport facilities. Find the facility closest to you at sportcalgary.ca. Hey, hey, kids. Uh, It's your old pal, your old buddy, uh, your podcasting friend, Rob Kirk. Thank you, thank you, thank you for stopping by this Sport Calgary podcast, the original Six Feet Conversation podcast. Uh, Hope you're doing well. Uh, Just want to send out another thank you to everybody who's on the front lines of what we're going through right now, doctors, nurses, medical staff, uh, cleaners, uh, grocery store clerks, you name it, the truckers. There are so many people that we're really uh, beginning to <laughs> have to really beginning to appreciate the work that they do that maybe have done it in the past without kind of the appreciation they deserve. So if uh, one thing can come out of this terrible, terrible uh, tragedy is that we appreciate the work that others do on our behalf that we need so desperately in times like this. So uh, that'll be our, our serious part of this podcast. Do want to thank all of those and hopefully you, if you're part of that community, you're listening to this podcast to get away from uh, what you're having to go through right now. So uh, with that said, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us. Uh, today, our guest, a friend of mine, oops, full disclosure, he's a friend of mine. Uh, you know him as a writer for The Athletic. He covers the Calgary Flames. Uh, you have read his uh, work in uh, Canadian Press Stories uh, as he works for Canadian Press, uh, but maybe not getting the attribution. Uh, he had a blog and, and a podcast, Flames from 80 Feet. Uh, but what makes Darren Haynes so unique in my eyes is that he is one of a, a handful and I'm not in that group. Well, I mean, I'm not in the media anymore, but I was never in that group. Uh, one of the few Calgary media people that's born and bred in Calgary. This is where they grew up. They grew up a Calgarian. They cover Calgary sports. And um, Darren has a, a unique perspective to uh, pass along. Not only has he covered Calgary sports, he's worked in Calgary sports. And as we've gone on this journey the last month or so of you know, telling stories and reflecting back, it, there seemed to be a gaping hole for me in one particular topic and that was the the history of baseball and, and the role of the Calgary Cannons. And I wanted to talk to Darren about the Cannons. Uh, part of this comes out of a conversation that Darren and I had. Uh, he is a huge, huge baseball fan. And clearly we've lost, you know, opening day. And, and, and who knows if we're going to get much baseball season to begin with. And he's been missing it. So I thought, what a better guy to come on in. And let's talk a little bit about the legacy of the Calgary Cannons. Uh, check out Sport Calgary's This Week in Sport for the latest news and updates in Calgary's sport community. All right, with that said, let's spend a little time, uh, shall we? Uh, take us out to the ballpark, Darren Haynes. That's what we request. That's what we ask. Here's our guest. How are you holding up in all of this? Uh, it's interesting. I talked to an old uh, journalism student of mine, not a journalism student of mine, an old kid that I a kid that I coached in hockey he was a teammate of Riley's who's taken journalism I brought him to a Flames game a couple years ago he's at Mount Royal Mm -hmm. so he's doing um what's what's going on with the sports media guys when there's no sports and so he phoned uh Steinberg and then he uh he asked if he could speak with me, so I spoke with him yesterday just because my perspective is a little different, where uh, where I'm a freelancer whose who's opportunities have dried up right now. And I kind of said, it's 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 not like the off-season. He said, it must be kind of like the off-season. I'm like, no, because the off-season, hockey's an 11-month sport now. Yeah. Like, there's a very, very small window where you're not, you don't have something to talk about because it just rolls from 
the draft to development camp to trades to free agency to prepping for it's, a rookie. Yeah. It's that long weekend in August, right? The four yeah, days in it. August. That's it. That's the only break. That's what I said. So I said we're in that kind of and I, I, I lengthened it a little bit, but I said we're kind of in that first two weeks of August where all the GMs finally get to their cabins. We're like in that, but we're trapped like Groundhog Day. Yeah. But the other but the difference is at least then, no problem. Sit back, watch the baseball, you know, watch the Masters, watch the US Open, whatever. There's stuff. There's no stuff. Belarusian Belarusian hockey, I guess. Um, so is that a thing? I don't know. I mean, I saw that one day. To me, and the other thing that I feel bad about, because I talked about it on the podcast in like the first week, is, oh, marble racing. We're all going to get into marble racing. Like, I was fascinated with marble racing, but that seems to have gone by the wayside, too. I just saw the one race. Um, so I have It was to, fascinating. Maybe, you have to admit, if you picked a color, great. it's like, how come that color's not moving? It's because we're not jaded. We don't. We don't. We know none of these marbles are cheating, or at least we giving them <laughs> the discretion, right? Like you're not. You're not thinking. Oh no, no. Look at that blue marbles. Look at how big that blue marble was five years ago. Like that's not right. <laughs> I see. To me, I think you're. That's a decade old th- thinking. I think the thinking now is no. We ran the analytics, and the blue marble. Come on, everybody knows that the blue marbles closed ratio of closing within the last 10 feet of every race that type of thing we don't have the numbers especially when it's a metallic paint it, it, it <laughs> takes up a little friction that's and, and right just yeah no there's definitely if you go with kind of the the kind of the eggshell that kind of low mat kind of finish <laughs> on a marble then you're going to be top three um just you touched on a little bit but specifically um i've known you as you started kind of as a cp stringer right? You, you work for Canadian Press. You went yep. and created your own website, which I always thought was kind of cool, which led to an opportunity with The Athletic, which, you know, for sports fans is really kind of cool if you enjoy old-fashioned, good reporting, you know, that you would have found in newspapers. Um, did I miss anything out or miss anything there? Yeah, no, that was kind of, that was kind of it. I remember my, uh, my first, first, freelance gig i started freelancing for canadian press when i was still in that two-year diploma program at mount royal in journalism so uh, that's why when it was mount royal college yeah mount royal college and that's why i didn't go the small town route as journalism students would typically do and would you have i've never asked you that question you didn't but would you have were you prepared to go work in small town british columbia or small town saskatchewan i was i don't know if i'd say i was prepared but i was tempted because that's just what you did when i was still a first year but it was near the end of the year and i thought oh hey i got the sports stuff figured out yorkton was looking for a sports editor and sports editor slash sports writer in small towns he would be both and i thought oh Hey, that's cool. And and so I kind of looked into that and I thought, no, that's ridiculous. I, I still am in my first year of school. So I, 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 I didn't even think too much about that. But then I started what freelancing. Year was that? Uh, it would have been 87, 88, yeah, 87, 88. And then uh, in my second year, I did have uh, an interview booked in Castlegar. And I, it was going to be a really long drive. And I was humming and hawing. And I just... At the time, I was already starting to freelance for Canadian Press, and even though it was very, very, very part-time, I just didn't want to give that up because that was a dream job to me, even though it was just part-time. So sure. I just couldn't give it up to make that. I didn't, So I didn't even go for the interview. It was just going to be a really long drive, and I just thought if I get it, like would I even want to take it because I'd be, what, covering – 
whatever. Like I just Rocky Mountain Junior kind of, Hockey League team, right? The Castle Bar oh, yeah, Rebels. There would have been lots of stuff, yeah, and yeah. and you know I, I do think about what might have been, but uh, no, that was that was it. So I uh, started doing yeah. So between running quotes, I actually started running quotes only back when it worked a little differently. There was a quote runner and a guy running the story. So I could just go straight down, get out quotes, transcribe them and, um, whatnot. So that was, um, and then I just started doing that for what, uh, baseball what, games as well. The cannons. Okay. Well, what year was that? Um, when I started doing CP for the cannons would have been, that's where I started. I started doing cannons baseball before I did flames hockey. So it was probably 80, 88, 87. Okay. In that range. Yep. Wow. Yep. You are a, uh, a rarity in Calgary media, I can only think of a handful. And okay, hold on. I better, I better watch that question. I can only think of a handful of media. That's true too. But um, you are a rarity. You are a born, bred Calgarian covering sports in Calgary. That is a bit of a rarity. Yeah, no, it's it's um, so so you have a, a bit of a different perspective because naturally I won't try to hide it. I grew up a Flames fan. Like when they moved to Calgary in 1980, I was in grade six, I believe, and it was like awesome. Like what a you know. So think about you know you're in you're playing hockey back then. Like this is grade seven, grade eight, grade nine. Now you get it, right? These are mm-hmm. players that become favorite players, and and so I was just right in the wheelhouse of, of fandom when the when the Flames came to Calgary. So certainly grew up there, and I you know I grew up as a Flames fan, and then um, yeah, so that's that kind of that path. In fact, it's kind of funny. I think about um, those early days. Here I am, 21, 22, 23. Uh, media used to park in the same parking lot as the players parked. Yeah. Uh, when I was running quotes, I was done pretty quickly. I'd be walking out often at around the same time the players were, and the fans used to be let underneath. So there would be fans underneath cordoned off and so i would be walking out the same way and sometimes i would auto- sign a couple of autographs they didn't know they just thought well, i was one of the players <laughs> i i, just, uh, I i've a you've never told me that story before and b what a huge um a difference i guess for the lack of a better term because i remember those days too like you could come downstairs and you could wait and maybe, possibly, you, you know, more often than not, you were going to go home with something. Somebody was going to autograph something. Yeah. Right? Because yeah, they were there just and coming out at random times. So, you know, you could just – but they would line up, and I, I'm not even sure how they got there. I guess underneath the stand somehow. And, and yeah, so there was – and it wasn't a, like, it wasn't like thousands of people. It was just, you know, a couple of hundred uh, hardcore fans that were there to, sure, yeah, yeah. to try and catch a glimpse, right? But, but, but it wasn't it, – it's, it's the old thing that we're going to – drift into hey the old guys are lecturing again that that's not the intent that's not the intent but even like you say there wasn't a lot of people there like it wasn't that big a deal like now an autograph opportunity is a big deal right but back then yeah i may i may not go yeah, and these are the same players that uh, I would go and see them at Irene Bessie Organs, or I would go down to this car dealership, right? So I have these great photos, me with Brad Marsh and Bill Clement, or me with Jim Poplinski or Willie Platt at the organ place, because Irene Bessie was the organist for yeah. the longest time, and so her organ shop became a bit of a place where on weekends they would do player appearances, and we were always about that. I was like, hey, Mom, this is where we're going today. Dad, get the keys. Let's go. That's right. They used to you used to see him in the newspaper, right? Like, come on down from two to four o'clock today. Yep. You know, Brad Marsh and Jim Poplinski from the Calgary Flames are here, sort of thing. Did you yep. start? Did your fandom start in the corral then? 
Uh, well, yes, so, yeah, but never got never got to a game in the corral. Like, you never got to see a Flames game in the corral. No, really? no, I saw lots of uh, Calgary Wrangler games, sure. of course, sure, but uh, never saw a Flames game there. Just, just uh, it was so hard to get tickets, right? Like you take a a team, put them in Calgary, but then you only have what eight thousand? No, oh, seven thousand. Seven thousand. Yeah. Yeah, some, so it was, yeah. and so peak popularity. No, never had a chance, unfortunately. You know, uh, and we probably had this conversation when the Corral series was on a couple of years ago. I did. I I saw the Flames and the Islanders. It was Brent Sutter's first NHL game as an 18 year old with the Islanders, and Calgary won it by something like nine three. And my uncle took me and my cousin, and he, my uncle was a, a cop, and. So I'm not even sure we had tickets. I think he flashed a badge, and, and we got in. And all I remember is there I was watching from standing room only tickets, and it was the NHL. And, like, how cool is this? I'm watching the NHL. There was smoke everywhere because people were smoking in the seats. Yeah. And, and I think now to what has become the custom or the, you know, the tradition of what an arena is, a sports facility, from those humble beginnings to where we are now, it's kind of incredible. Yeah, every now and then when the Flames practice over there, it's fun, right? Just yeah. to imagine it because it's yeah. weird to even imagine it. The boards are so high, and it's just it's just little this tiny little rink, but just oozing with character, obviously. And um, yeah, no, I I didn't get a chance to get to a game. The one of the first games I got to was maybe '85 or so, '84. Um, Whenever they put the, whenever they had the nosebleed seats and they built those, because initially the asylum didn't have those open, they were just, it was just cement up there, right? Yep, they yep. were, they were future plans. Yep. So when they first made those tickets available, it was really the first time that anyone could just go get a ticket. You, you didn't have to know someone that had season tickets or whatever. And so when they first made those seats available, and I'm trying to remember when that was, probably around '86, maybe '85, mm-hmm. '86. I went and I was going to go to every game. I'm committed, and me and my buddies, and and we went to the first maybe 23 or 24, and it was like five bucks. I have ticket stubs still in the basement, and that was uh, fantastic. And you would have to commit to it though. Like if the Oilers were in town, uh, you would have to like camp out overnight. And so we would always do that at a bass ticket outlet. We would camp out overnight in our lawn chairs, bring our Nerf footballs (laughs) and our box of cereal, right, and sleeping bags, and we would be just goofing around and then sure enough tickets went on sale the next morning and we get our nosebleed seats like that was the fashion back then and how many so how many games in a row did you go to like 20 22 the first 23 or 24 yeah it's it's and and i don't want to take anything away from a season ticket holder today because they are the lifeblood of organizations but being a, a fan in the 80s as opposed to being a fan now can you imagine committing as a fan to 22 evenings over the course of a winter like it's it seems so dramatically different yeah, yeah. Well, just the activities, right? There's just so much more distractions now, and so many more commitments. And you know, we 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 got like you know, as you know, we have uh, dogs season tickets in Okotoks, yep. and and that's a bit of a, a, a share. And and we we used to get me and some buddies when we had little kids. We got Hitman season tickets for a few years there. When uh, and then we would again just share them out, right? Because again, it's hard to yeah. Hard to imagine even, you know, and then you think about baseball where the Cannons would have 12-game homestands, 12 games and 13. <laughs> Good luck. Yeah. How many, like, how many could you literally go to if you had, if you, like, oh, other than those really hardcore fans, 
that's why seats probably went empty a lot or just a lot of tickets changed hands because that was a different beast altogether. Like even just to work there, like that was a big commitment. I'm glad I, I was working Canon games before kids came along because otherwise there was no chance that I could just kind of basically book off the next six evenings and, you know, see you later, wife. <laughs> I want to I want to park the cannons for a second because that's going to be a huge part of this conversation. But did you have much to do with some of those tertiary secondary sports that came through town in the '80s, early '90s? I'm thinking of the Calgary '88s or soccer or you know the Calgary Rads. And, and a tip of the hat to Sea of Red or Sea of Dead right now who's doing a good job of resurrecting all of those teams and merchandise. But did you have much to do with any of those? No, that was the, I always said the one the one sport local that I never got <clears throat> never got involved with was uh, any of the basketball entities. So mm-hmm. the 88s is the one that comes to mind, right? Um, Chip Engeland was the, yeah. the star player and no, that was the one that I just never uh, and I think there was just enough of um, you were busy enough, you know, if you were working in the you know working with the Cannons, working with the Flames, you know, doing between those things just kind of gobbled up I guess enough time, but and same with soccer never i uh, never got involved in, in either, any of the soccer other than just um, you know, watching sure what about uh, 89 and then and then i promise you we'll get into a, a conversation about baseball what was what was your role in 1989 during the stanley cup run were you working or were you just a fan at that point yeah, no, I, I did not. My first Flames game happened the year after. Okay. So that's why I kind of thought I was the jinx because you know, they went then and didn't win a playoff series to 0-4, right? So, so, so my first freelancing up in the press box at the Saddle Dome was, was in that. I think it was actually halfway through the year. Maybe it was like February of 90, something like that. It was that 89-90 season. So, so right from that 86 when they went to the cup final and lost to 89 when they went to the cup final and won like that was my my high school years carrying over into my out mount royal years and yeah i just you know i well i did some writing while i was at mount royal just kind of fun editorials that first year uh when the when the flames were were going to the cup but yeah no that was that was watching the games with buddies we had one good friend of mine blaine was a huge oilers fan and he uh you know but he was in all of my same classes and we ran hockey pools together and whatnot. So that series in particular, right? Like we had a good friendly rivalry, but it was just all about getting somewhere, being in front of the TV and undivided attention on those games. That's for sure. Were you part of the, the crowd that went to the airport in 86 or? Yeah. 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 yeah, we we made up the rules. Like we have one guy that drove. Um, he was the only guy that had a vehicle out of our group, right? And his name was Hugh, and he had a Jeep. And uh, thankfully, the way it was constructed, we could get probably six or seven guys in there. But we always said that there, we somehow created a belief that there was a rule that if you're going to the airport to see the flames come back, that there were no actual rules about how many people could be in a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> this was some sort of a caveat that existed. Like, surely it doesn't all with sports teams right so we would pile up to the airport like i remember that actually i was fascinated because i remember the 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 night of the steve smith goal in that game when yep. the team came back i yep. remember we were all lined up along the kind of chain link fence and you could see the kind of the landing area where the where the plane was landing and then they came off and but there was such madness and such a crowd but what i remember is as we were waiting a van pulled up and out of the back 
they already had the next day's Calgary Sun, and there it was in the headlines. Like it was, and we were still there waiting for the team to come back from Edmonton. So that was really cool. <laughs> I have, and maybe my parents have snuck them into the recycle bin. I hope not, but I've got so many newspaper clippings and souvenir stuff from that that kind of eighty six to eighty nine period. Um, you know, that whole four years in there, like we would always be tracking them down yeah no it was it was fun you know it's interesting because this is the first time i've been able to complete the circle on a story like this because you know i've talked to colin patterson perry bears and joel otto lots of the the, you know mike vernon lots of guys that were in that game in 86 in that you know that win in edmonton and they all to a man talk about landing in calgary and you know the plane taxiing and they heard this big noise and they couldn't understand what was louder than the plane and it was the fans it's kind of neat to hear it from somebody on the other side to be there what 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 do you remember did you see anybody did you did you get to greet anybody what was it like well we were a long way away but they certainly they certainly acknowledged that uh, the fans were there absolutely so no we were a long way away but it was it was just the atmosphere like it was high-fiving strangers it was just such a like like everyone was all together there was a, like that's the best way i can put it you know and the, and you know you go back to like 89 now i'm 18 now i could go down to like electric avenue right so now that's that's the real fun is you're ripping downtown just to kind of be down there and hanging out and um but yeah no it was it was Super fun time. You know, the thing, other thing I remember with the airport is that's back when people would make signs and bring them to games, like the big, sure. right? And yeah. I remember the, all the Steve Smith for mayor, and like, like it didn't take long for people to turn around some some signage that uh, acknowledged that particular moment. Um, but yeah, no, it was it was uh, it was good, and thank God we had a driver in the mix because he was tasked out to drive all the time, and we constantly were going to the airport. <laughs> you, oh, so it wasn't just the one time. No, we went to. The, it seemed like whenever the team won a big game or won a series on the road, then uh, then you went we to would the airport. be. Yeah, absolutely. This is what you did. <laughs> um, Darren, tell me a little bit about, if you can, an observation of 2004 versus 1986 or 1989, because we all, you know, there's a modern generation that looks at, at that run to the Stanley Cup final against Tampa Bay and the Red Mile and everything that came out of that. How did you compare the two? Well, there was a, a comparison because what I found is is when you have this kind of uniting activity that happened, and for me, 89 was when I was 20 years old, you know, you have your good friends from high school, some guys you're going to university with, whatnot. Sometimes, you know, you, you move on in life and you lose those connections. Well, what happened? One of the first things and one of the biggest things I remember about 2004 is, is kind of the whole band wanted to get back together again, right? <laughs> there was, it was so nostalgic to see them when they got through that first series. And there's a lot of, of retro games they're playing on TV yeah, right now. And yeah, to be yeah. honest, I haven't tuned into many, but I did watch from start to finish the replay of that Vancouver Game 7 2004 last Saturday. And, uh, and that... Because that was the one. That was the one that got it started. That was the one that ended that decade and a half of, of not being able to get past that first round. And and so once things got going, yeah, it was amazing how, how again, we were kind of like back in touch with the old gang. We were all in our different careers and whatnot at that point, but yeah. we would be getting back together. We did some road games together, just hang, just getting in touch. But you know, I think the experience was was quite similar because '89 was was um, was so big because the, of 
you know, getting back to the Stanley Cup and ultimately winning it. Mm-hmm. And because that layoff of, of frustration had been so long, it, it felt like that all over again. So I, I, thought, I thought there was a lot of very, very similar comparables, to be honest. I don't know if this blows your mind or wows you, but if you do the math, 2004 was closer to 1989 than we are to 2004. Yet, for me, and certain people, 2004 still feels like yesterday. Yeah. Right? It's kind of crazy. Yeah, no, it it is. It is crazy. It is. No, it, it was fun. Fun for different reasons, and and but similar characters, right? Just, I, I mean, I think what was so different, obviously, though, was was the team in '89. You you kind of like that was not out of the blue. They had to get past Edmonton, but but that was a good team, a really good team, right? Where oh yeah. four. Boy, was that a reminder watching that game against Vancouver and looking at that lineup. It's like, how did they get oh. past the first round? Never mind the second round. And no disrespect to Mika Kiprasov or Joe McGinley, but that was it. There was a drop-off. Sorry, Conroy, but, know. you know, there was a drop-off to your third-best player. No, it's it's absolutely true. Like, it's a, an era of hockey that has its detractors because of the, the, the style of game. But if you look at that team and you compare that team to – any that we've seen recently, the Pittsburghs or, you know, whoever, the Bostons or the St. Louis's, it's just, it's not deep. Don't know about the heart, though. Don't know about the character, because not sure I ever saw a group with more heart and character. Yeah, it's the case study for does that stuff matter? Well, <laughs> if it if it's there in that, that high of volume, then... Yeah. Uh, you know, it's amazing. Like, you know, and like you were, the, you know, like just the, the dressing rooms after that, the, the ice buckets, the like it was it was a two month long. Oh, because no short series in there either. right? No, ESPN did a you know, it's funny because that was kind of in 2004 was just when HD TVs were coming out and you know, only rich people had HD TVs. But ESPN did a series called Along the Boards where they shot the entire uh, Stanley Cup final from the boards. And it was in shot in HD, and I remember watching it a, a five or six years later. And what a rodeo it was. Like, I love Rhett Warner, but Rhett Warner grabbed you and hung on. Andrew Ferentz <laughs> got every piece of you he could. Like, it was a war out there. Absolute war. So different. So different. Yeah, that was yeah. the one thing. It, it was like, you, you watch one minute of anything of that, any, any of that playoff, and the first thing that jumps out at you is, holy smokes, is there a lot of hooking and obstruction. Hooking in particular. Those, those sticks were into waste almost permanently yeah. guys are pulling guys around the ice so that, that 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 was really funny when i noticed that the other thing you mentioned the i, I would mention is is you know the fun thing for me about 2004 i was in the press box the whole way up until the final yeah. at that point you remember how much media there yeah, was you right. had to close yeah. half of the nosebleeds to to put in media risers and TVs and outlets and electrical and all that. So at that point, now we have Canadian Press's uh, main hockey writers there. Like I just became too many guys for the Canadian Press seats in the main press box. So fair enough, I'm the I'm the low guy in that totem pole. So so I got kicked out. Um, like many others, I remember all the whole crew from TSN were sitting in the very back row of the yep. of the, the nosebleeds, right? So yep. that was cool. But anyway, my seat was great is I was right at the far right hand or far left hand side. So right 
to my left was an aisle and they had that yellow police tape going up. <laughs> and so on the other side, you had the fans, the fans that had gotten tickets. No matter How did they get them? How long did they wait for them? Did they camp out over the night? How much did they pay for them? But that was rabid fans. They were up there packed into the nosebleeds for Stanley Cup final games. Yeah. And so you felt felt in the crowd that way right like i was right there i could have reached out and touched that side of that so it was kind of a cool experience to kind of have all the kind of amenities of being with the media i had a monitor that was almost to my to myself that i could watch replays and whatnot yet you felt immersed in the crowd at the same time so kind of a fun experience um i, I keep pushing we're going to get to the baseball in a second just one last one is as a calgarian what do you remember of 88 and what did what did that winter olympics how did that winter olympics impact you or influence you well, you know, 88 is it's interesting because, you know, there wasn't a – I felt it was a missed opportunity for me, to be honest. That's how I look back at it is, is we went to some things, but I don't think I really appreciated uh, the magnitude of what it was, and I wish um, I would have gone to more stuff, but, you know – here I am, a, a starving, broke student at the time, um, not in a you know a real affluent household, I would say. So, so you know, like we we my parents did buy a few tickets for a few things, but it was the Canada U.S. game, it was the Canada Belarus game, or whatever, right? <laughs> or maybe the yeah. Belarus Switzerland game, yeah, more likely. Yeah, yeah. To be honest, I don't think I even saw Canada game. So, so '88 was was neat. Well, I mean, I I would go. I we went down and we would go to Olympic Plaza for the medal ceremony. So we went there several times. I do remember that. Really cool. Uh, my parents actually square danced in the Winter Olympic. Uh, opening ceremonies so they had some skin in the game from the olympics okay hold on tell us the story about that well there's a there's a big thing where they had uh, they did a, i think it was like the alberta flag or something they did a, like a rose so my parents they were in yellow and there was reds and greens and the, you know they it was a segment it was one of those so they rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and rehearsed and they had hundreds and hundreds of square dancers and that was like a five-minute portion of the opening ceremony so I, that was my my trivia is always is my parents were in the 88 olympics <laughs> <laughs> so are you in the building or did you have to watch your parents on tv no i, I was not in yeah no i oh. watched the ceremonies on tv okay. uh, still have them on a vhs tape though i thought that was fun that was one i love that that stuff back then so that was uh, especially at the end i what i remember about the opening ceremonies of the 88 olympics was at the end there was this it got kind of like informal and everybody started just kind of gathering up and there was a lot of celebrating and a lot of, and it just, it, it felt really good because it felt genuine. You saw all these athletes from different countries all kind of coming together yeah. and it was a real feel good moment that really kind of struck me. I, I've, I've watched that, uh, you know, especially at the time I used to watch that over and over again, that final uh, kind of final act, uh, that wrap up of the opening ceremonies. I just thought it was really cool to see how, how the, 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 the athletes all kind of came together and that was fun. So that was, but that, yeah, the Olympics didn't go to nearly as much as, as I should have. It's a bit of a regret. Like I said, I just, I think at the time, just the realities of not having a lot of money and just didn't, and I wasn't, I, like, it would have been fun to cover it, to be involved in somehow. Like, if I, maybe if it was, if I was a few years older, yeah. I would have been able to be a volunteer and do something like yeah. that. But um, anyway, so it goes. Did, did you have a jacket? Did you have one of the, uh, the, uh, the, ja the sun ice? Uh, no. I believe they were Petro Canada uh, Winter Olympics. Okay, there are two types of people: those who had the jacket, and those who are jealous of those who had the jacket. <laughs> I was in the jealous. Camp. You were, were you? 
I love how the, even now, even today, you know, and I guess not today with what we're going through, but more recently, you've still been able to go out in public and see one or two kicking around, right? Oh yeah, yeah, probably on the on on my parents. <laughs> <laughs> uh, in conversation, Darren Haynes is our guest. Sport Calgary is the voice of over 275 sports organizations in the Calgary area. Share your voice and become a Sport Calgary member for free at sportcalgary.ca/members. The reason I wanted to have you on it all stems from a conversation we were having a couple of weeks ago, and you were in distress you were in some kind of physical anguish and and mental pain um because as we're doing this i'm looking at you you're wearing your your beloved twins hoodie you're missing baseball and one of the things that we haven't been able to quite do yet on this podcast is talk a little bit about calgary's history in baseball and and russ parker and the cannons and and the the great players that came through and this was a passion of yours right yeah, no, it, it, it um, you know, I, I had a chance to kind of get over there and I still, so I started working up in the press box um, and, and working being not in, in a media capacity initially, but in their, in their second season. So the 1985 season, I was kind of a fan that caught some games, right. uh, but I started, uh, started working the ball strike board up in the press box in 1986 and that season there. And, um, you know, Edgar Martinez and like that was the beginning of those years. Yeah. And then one thing led to another and I played the music for most of one summer. Um, and then eventually when, oh, oh, you're in journalism, I met the person that was doing the CP games and said, well, maybe you can cover for me. And uh, the very first game I covered for Canadian Press, Matt Williams, who went on to have a sure. very prolific uh, major league career. He had two home runs for the Fresno Giants. So I still remember <laughs> that that first uh, that first game. But yeah, so I, I spent, and so you go from 86 to 2002 when they played their final season before moving to Albuquerque. And I was, uh, I was working up in the press box sometimes with multiple jobs. I would be doing the ball strike board and I had my laptop to, to do my game story at the same time. And the good way to kind of get through when you were, uh, you know, just juggling multiple jobs to kind of you make some money. So, uh, great times. We had some fantastic times and I, I did so many different jobs around there. Eventually CP stopped covering AAA, mm-hmm. but then I still, st- I still was working up in the press box and eventually, uh, Gus Collins, who's, who's, uh, who's passed away, but he was the Calgary, um, the Calgary Herald sports editor, uh, for a while. And, um, for a long time, he was an assistant editor. He was in that kind of capacity. He was that, and he was also the official scorer. And then they said they couldn't do both if you're working for the Herald. So he started covering the games a little bit, and then they needed to find someone to do the official scoring. So probably the last six or seven years, I was the kind of the lead guy doing the official scoring, which was fantastic. I just love that. And I... I had full appreciation of like you've seen some great players, prospects like like I got I was the guy who had Baseball America subscription, so I'd get my newspaper that would arrive in the mail. And you could track all like minor league players, and you knew who the hot shots were, who the top prospects were for the Dodgers who would come through with Albuquerque or or with um, Colorado come through with Colorado Springs or what have you, right? And um, yeah, so so that was really neat to be able to be in that kind of position of authority a little bit, just to decide hits and errors. And it, it, I treated it like a big deal, and it, it I, I took it very professional. Mm-hmm. But I, I loved it. I, I loved that working in that capacity, and I did it right up until when they moved to Albuquerque. Okay, I, I will come back to that because I've always wanted to talk to somebody about that role. But 
you mentioned all the different jobs. What are all the different jobs you would have done for the Calgary Cannon? Well, um, you know, so you have someone's got to sit there and ball strike out, flash a hit or error if there's a close play, so so the the people in the field know what your what the, what was decided there. Um, so there's that job, um, and and that job it seems simple, but your mind drifts, right? There's funny conversation <laughs> going on there. It's a summer night, right? Maybe the game's 13, nothing like yeah. whatever. It might be a runaway. Yeah. And, and some, some umpires were really good about it. If you were, if you had the call wrong, they'd kind of do a little bit of a stern. They'd stick out there. One has two and one, not one and one, like kind of giving you the, yeah. the feed. Yeah. There was a couple guys though, um, that would actually stare at the press box and shake their head. Like they were disappointed in you f- for not having the ball straight. Correct. And that, that little public scene never went well with, uh, with the team. And so you, you never wanted to kind of be, be busted like that. So okay. you had to be, you had to be all in. So there was the ball strike board. There would be the guy doing what we called the matrix. So that was the guy that was building. They had a little bit of stuff where you could put in, uh, what he did in his previous at bats, what was his average, um, you know, average home runs and RBIs, like a little bit of a stat line and you could update it through the game. So someone had to kind of be feeding that guy. Uh, he would keep his own stats as best he can, but then he would build these kind of little, 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 uh, matrixes, we called it. Uh, there was a music guy, as I said. So mm-hmm. back then you're plugging in these little miniature cassettes that had these little sound riffs or little clips of songs. And so there's that job. Um, and there was another guy that just was kind of a, a runner. So, so we would have uh, a visiting radio and a home radio for a while. Always had a visiting radio, guys. Yeah. And so just taking this, this is so funny to think about, there, there was a little printer that was that was um, that was like a stock ticker that was that was the, the baseball or the the sports scores and so running to that and then like jotting down the scores and then running it down to the other booth and then dropping off here's the out of town scoreboard right because again before the internet kids before right? the internet right? Like, absolutely oh wow that, yeah. um give us a little of your perspective on the heyday of the cannons um, you know there was a battle of Alberta in Triple A baseball wasn't there. Yeah, there was, um, you know, so... But was it like football? Was it like hockey? No, I don't know. I don't think it ever got to that. Like, because it's mostly because Edmonton, it's, it's no different than than why the Battle of Alberta has has kind of been on the back burner for so long in hockey is you need both teams to be good. And that yeah. was one of the problems that kind of haunted uh, Russ Parker for the longest time is, is Calgary, when it came into the Pacific Coast League, they were affiliated with the Seattle Mariners. Well, Seattle Mariners had some good teams, but it wasn't until long after they were the, the parent club for the Calgary Cannons. Right. And to the point where he got kind of frustrated that the team was so poor all the time. And there was a couple instances where um, where they had players scooped by Seattle to, who were not even in contention. And so that kind of soiled the, or, or kind of sullied the relationship a little bit. But um, so so it never – there wasn't really a Calgary-Edmonton rivalry just because the, 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 tra- the Trappers were the farm team for the California Angels for the longest time and they just had a better team they just seemed to have a better whether it was the, their commitment to development or whatever it was just felt like there was they, they had Ron Kittle right is that or was Kittle as uh, White Sox? I can't remember. He might have been. He might have been with uh, the the Vancouver. Yeah, but it was like Devon White was. Uh, yeah, one of the, yeah. He was in that kind of era. Dan Pilling, who who we both know, yeah. he was a bat. He was a bat boy for the Trappers for a couple seasons. He could tell some stories. <laughs> no, but I was thinking more about kind of that battle of 
you know, in the height of it. So in the height of the Cannons, what was a day at the ballpark like? What was the crowd like? What was the atmosphere like? Yeah, well, you know, again, you, you had to you had to get past April, May, right? Because that was the thing. I don't think Cannons people appreciated baseball. that, right? Like how right? difficult yeah. that was. It was a real grind. So yeah. so in, my, in minor league baseball, you have short season, you have long season. Well, well the Pacific Coast League was a long season. So, so the, you would start... Uh, right at the beginning of April. Well, if if you if you're in Canada, you know what's going on. What people are doing at the beginning of April, they're watching hockey on on TV. They're watching the playoffs, right? And so in April and May, you you your two opponents that made it really tough to kind of get some traction and get going with your season was you're head to head with hockey on TV every night. Often the Flames, so there it hurts you again. And then secondly. You have the poor weather. You have Calgary weather, Calgary Springs. Not a, not often are the nights very – like you want to go out and enjoy your evening. You don't want to be there shivering, bundling up, putting on your toque. Like that's – so that was pretty tough. You had to get past those two months. But once you got into the summer then, and they had a lot of those kind of ticket books, so I think people would – and I think you could turn in your season t- – your if you had unused tickets. So the, the crowds really – as I recall them anyway, really started to kind of get a lot bigger once you got into kind of July and, and August. And, and those months, you know, in the, um, you, you toggle right through kind of the late 80s there, um, there was some great, there was some great just packed stadium, music playing between interme- between the innings and just you know, people dancing and, and like you just had like the and great Great players on display too, right? You think about, uh, like I mentioned, Edgar Martinez. He was uh, an all-star. Tino Martinez went on to have a very prolific mm-hmm. major league career, right? These are guys that played in Calgary for a couple of seasons, right? Even Alex Rodriguez, he he cut his teeth in Calgary for a couple of seasons. He was here, a lot, a lot of one season and another, a little bit of another. So there was just some great players that came through. Um, there was less competition for for people's attention, so I think going out and watching the baseball team was it was a big deal. It was a lot of fun, and and it was fun to be up in the press box because just the atmosphere is everything, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. There was, it was definitely some some grand old times, and you know Wabash out there running around. So it was just you know. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you that. I mean, nowadays there's such a mystique about minor league baseball and how hard they work to entertain and everything, but. Do you remember any stories of promotions or I know I, I wanted to ask and I cannot remember his name. He was in Bull Durham. Is it Max Patkin? Max, Max Patkin. Yeah, yeah, he came to he came to Burns Stadium a few several he times. He did, eh? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. The clown Just, Prince of Baseball. The clown prince of baseball. He seemed like he's what a hundred years old. Yeah. <laughs> but uh yeah, so so Max Patkin, you know, the the San Diego chicken. Uh, was a big night. Like that was, and I remember one year that game got rained out, and it was heartbreak in the front office because that game was probably going to be your biggest crowd of the year because he was hilarious and um, and and um, was yeah. So he was really good, and he was like almost an, an annual. I remember one year they had this loony named uh, Billy Bird. and so Billy Bird was. I think they were all trying to get in on the San Diego Chicken. Um, you know, like that popularity, like, oh, well, maybe teams, because there's only so many minor league dates. Sure. So who else? Who's next? <laughs> who's, ne- who's the, who's the <laughs> sub? Right. So Billy Bird. So I remember this Billy Bird. Um, 
you know, they would come and set up their routines, whatever they were doing kind of ahead of time, right? He was up in the press box, and all of a sudden this guy, you know, these guys are so animated. Eh? They're like they're shaking their head, and they're bumming around. They're knocking printers over like with their <laughs> tail. And, and so all of a sudden, and we didn't know this had been rehearsed, but he hops up in the windowsill, and then he jumps out. But he had a rope that he had set up beforehand. But we were like, there was a minute there. We were like, what are we seeing? We're going to see a mascot die tonight. <laughs> <laughs> but he was a loony. And I remember uh, they had uh, Conehead night. And, and uh, so everybody, all fans in attendance, this is back when the Coneheads were big on yep. Saturday Night Live. Yep. So, so everybody had these cones on their head. I remember during the seventh inning stretch, so he had this, imagine this picture of a packed stadium of, Coneheads, and everybody's ready to sing Saturday Night Live or um, Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Well, a fan sheds the clothes and runs onto the diamond. So there we have a streaker on the diamond um, in a conehead. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this is back when Brent Parker was the head of the grounds crew, okay. and uh, that didn't go over well. So Brent Parker takes this guy down like a linebacker sacking a quarterback and drags him, drags him by the feet. So you know what's rubbing along that shale all the way, <laughs> all the way to the to the to the, to the cannon's office. That's a, oh, so I don't know how that turned out, but I'm sure that might have been the, the, even the guy. As much as he was trespassing and all that, may have had a bit of recourse there as well. But oh, I I will always remember that moment. But yeah, we saw some some interesting just just some characters, both both in terms of the the mascots and the performances, and and also just in and, and some of the failed ones. Okay, I'll tell you about. Uh, another one about Please. the failed one. You know, so they would do fireworks night traditionally, right? Yep. Um, you know, so instead they were going to do um, a, like a new, there was a new firm and they had this kind of, they were going to do a laser light show. So they needed to do this laser light show, but they needed something to, to, to beam the lasers onto. Okay. So they, they, you know, they get this set up and of course that's the night where the pitchers, both pitchers throw a complete gem, right? So this is a game that takes like two hours and eight minutes, right? <laughs> They're counting on a three, a three-hour game, right? So it's not even close to dark yet. <laughs> so now you have the fan, like, like. So the now it's just like, okay, we got to wait for like a, like almost an hour for it to get dark, right? Well, meanwhile this setup looks hokey because I guess maybe there'd be a bit of mystique if it was dark and you, you kind of pull it. Well, it looks like they're just doing their laundry, right? So they run out these kind of clotheslines with all these white sheets on it, right? So then you see all the behind the scenes because it's right in front of you, right? Yeah. And then by the time you waited and waited and waited, well, then the anticipation's building, right? Fair or not fair. The, the, the laser light show was, they started it, in fact, I think they started it before it, it was as dark as ideal just because the wait had been so long and people starting to get impatient. It wasn't very good. It was just kind of one of those promotions that just <laughs> never came together. Do, do you remember meeting anybody um, in baseball or, you know, because at that, that time there had to be some of your childhood heroes working their way through the system, either calling games or or coaching or whatever. Do you remember any any particular interesting people you met along the way there? Uh, that I met, you know, I remember watching guys, right? Like sure. Eddie Murray came down on a, on a, he was trying to kind of get back. He, he right. was uh, making a bit of a comeback. So Eddie Murray was at the yep. Burns stadium, you know, as a, as an Expos fan, John Wetland was a starting pitcher back then. And he had a, I remember he threw a gem for Albuquerque one time. Um, 
let's see, in terms of meeting, you know, I spent one summer, one of my, uh, when I was, uh, there was a bit of crossover where I was still, so this is probably 88, 89 in that, where, where I had a sports admin class at Mount Royal. So I, I was like a, an intern in the front office during the summer. So not just a game night thing, but mm-hmm. I was actually working. So that had me around the ball team a lot more. And it was kind of interesting because you had kind of this up close look at, kangaroo court and you'd see this things these things kind of being played out the okay. next day where yeah. you, i'd walk in there and they're all having kind of what looks like this serious discussion but someone owes 20 bucks because whatever whatever he had done that was uh you know for throwing i think the one guy got fined for walking a guy when they were up 10 runs or whatever like he was dragging out the game right like that's a fine right <laughs> so so there was a couple guys that were really like the ringleaders of that kangaroo court but seeing that stuff up close was oh, was sure. kind of interesting yeah so so just uh you know just being around that team and in the in the in the clubhouse that summer was you had the, the you had that token clown who would you, you had to he would always had that reputation of when they did team photo day he would pose the wrong way so he was a left-handed hitter but he would pose right-handed just because he was going to be the class clown kind of thing right so that was one of my duties was to make sure everybody was batting the right direction and you had to babysit these guys a little <laughs> bit right here's a, one thing that I totally remember that same summer so they had a, a extra innings game on a on a Friday night. I don't think there was rain delay, but it was it went it did not finish till like eleven thirty, quarter to twelve. The next morning, two players were had signed up. Seemed like a good idea at the time. Maybe they were nudged towards it, but a couple of the more veteran players had signed up to do an Airdrie Mall appearance at nine o'clock the next morning. So I was the guy driving them up there. Oh wait. <laughs> You have one more guy. Oh, who else? Is there another player coming with us? No, it's the guy who's the green drop mascot. <laughs> so, <laughs> so me and my 85 Chevette, my beater car, uh, you know, I, I show up that early Saturday morning. I go over to the little apartments by Patrician Village there right across sure. from the stadium. Yep. And I'm waiting for these two players, groggy. You see them dragging their asses and get, get into the car, hunch over to get into my little beater car. Meanwhile, I've got this little... 16 year old kid who doesn't know a clue about baseball but he's the mascot for green drop and i've got him in my car and we went and had this really super breakfast like convert it felt like this breakfast club because it felt like all these people from different walks of life I and mean, we had to drive up to airdrie for this mall appearance right <laughs> <laughs> just just funny things like that right like my car i used to that was part of my that summer i was i would pick up players when they got sent down from seattle i remember um dale Svame got sent down and um and he he was a, a big guy and like oh my god Getting, seeing him kind of uh, just to cram himself into my car. Rich Delusha was a guy. Wow, who, uh, there's a name. Went, okay. Yeah, he ended up on the DL, and he ended up on the DL shortly after he got sent down. And Tom Brennan, who was the the beat writer for the Cannons for the Sun at the time, yeah. always thought he always held he always thought it was me because it was from Rich Delusha trying to get into my Chevette at the airport that caused him to <laughs> throw, throw out his back. <laughs> there is. Don't go ahead. I was just going to say, to me, it was perfect, though, because it's it was another reason why if you're in the big leagues and you're in Seattle, 
you do not want to go down to the minor leagues because they're going to pick you up. It's going to be some 20-year-old intern. He's got a, a lousy car. You're going to have to get in this lousy car. Like it's just, it, it was just another reason to make sure when you get to the big leagues, stay in the big leagues. <laughs> do you? And, and this is straight out of the blue, but I, I also remember too that, and and you don't see it anymore. But back then, the big club would come down every once in a while and play an exhibition game, right? Yeah, yeah, no, they would. Uh, that was that was a thing. Uh, the major players hated it. Like, oh they, boy, I bet, eh? Yeah, they would stay basically stay back in the visiting clubhouse, which was like an aqua trailer for for the longest time there. And no, it, they weren't big fans of those games, and I think that's why those games kind of went. The yeah. I don't think those are even a thing anymore. No, but uh, but it was. You know, you saw. I remember the the one time, and and Ken Griffey, Ken Griffey. It was an anticipated Ken Griffey appearance because i was just uh, talking about this with someone the other day um that was the same summer i was in the front office for the cannons and every piece of marketing collateral had ken griffey jr on it the kid on it because he had played double a the year before so he was going to be bumping to triple a and this was this huge phenom like they're so excited on the posters on the front of the pocket schedules on the media guide like there's this artist artist rendition of ken griffey jr like in a canon's uniform like it was just that was here he comes everything marketing was and then he skipped calgary and went straight to the major leagues and with a just uh seattle just um sent out a uh you know something on social media i think it was a tweet that acknowledged that ken griffey jr's debut was on this date or um yeah it was on this date in 1989 and that just kicked off that memory for me because i remember the disappointment and heartbreak in that front office that that they were so looking forward to that so then when he came back a few years later uh they they tried to make it a big deal and and sure enough he hit some bombs in the in the in the home run derby kind of thing that they had so Mm -hmm. it was a nice impression but uh, oh it would have been fun to see him play it you know and and part of me wonders and you were closer to it than i was at, at that point but part of me wonders how much of it was to get him up there so that he could play in the same outfield with his dad yeah. Right. Because there's yeah. that, that's when is that ever going to happen again? Or, or, or you know what I mean? It, there's something about baseball, dude. You know, you can yeah. like other sports, and I love other sports, but there's a certain rhythm. There's a certain history to baseball. It just does things and and has things that no other sport has. Yeah. And it it became that 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 yeah it completely. And that felt like the first of what became a thing. You got to the point eventually where where these teams in uh, AAA team in Edmonton, AAA team in Calgary, AAA team in Vancouver, it seemed like teams started to then really coddle their top prospects. And so yeah. they would be starting to put their guys in AA instead of AAA. Yeah because it, they wanted them in nicer weather. They didn't want pitchers pitching in the cold and all this sort of thing. So yeah. it almost felt like that was the, kind of the start of a bit of a turn where we started to see a bit more. Um, you saw some older guys, some character guys, but sometimes some of the, the top prospects, especially at the start of the season, would be kept in double A. What's the best Cannons game you ever remember? Oh, the best one. The best one. Probably, the you know, for the... Oh. I know that that is a really good question. The one that the ones the ones if I was just to kind of bundle them is whenever there'd be like multiple rainouts and we would get down to the fact or not multiple rainouts where there would be multiple rain delays yeah. and then it would go extra innings and you'd just you'd have this 
war of attrition for fans. There would be about nine fans. We would be like after midnight. We're <laughs> giddy as can be up in the press box because we've been yep. up there for like six hours at this point. Yep. And it's so those were the the great times. You know, I you know to my left would be Mark Steven, You know, voice yep. of the stamps. He was the PR guy for for many many years for the Canons. Then you know to my immediate left, and this was be if I was working the ball strike board. To my right to my left was Bill Clapham, who was the voice of the. He was the PA voice of the. He was the Beasley at yep. Burn Stadium yep. the entire time, right? And um, and then you'd have like you know, Rita Mingo and Daryl Slade on the on the media side, Tom Brennan for a while in there, like whoever it was. But it was just it was a little small community of like less than ten guys or ten people, and just we all loved baseball, and it was just such a great time, great great night. So as much as I think maybe I was young at that time. Maybe the older like get this game over with, but uh, I, I loved it. I loved the longer the games, those kind of games where it was just like, when is this going to end? I thought those were hilarious, right? <laughs> because you just never knew. It's, and again, I go back to my comment about baseball being so different, the rhythm of it. Um, you know, the NHL or hockey's at its best when it's every other night, but you know, there's a lot of groundhog days in baseball, right? Like get up, batting practice, do your thing, do the game, go home, batting practice. It's, it takes a little bit. Yeah. You have to be a special kind of person to really enjoy it and stick it out for entire season. Yeah. And, and the other thing that happens with baseball is something happens. There's something that pops every evening, something you haven't seen before. And that was the thing there always, you could count on something that you hadn't seen before would happen that night. And it was just, Oh my God, we had we had so many laughs and then just 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 kind of the, the the gamesmanship up in the press box between the windows on those kind of coolish nights where I loved having the window up because especially when you were either scoring later on or early days doing ball strike, you wanted to hear that pop of the mid. Otherwise, you tune out a little bit, right? Yep. So you love yep. to have that, but. But then, you know, Calgary spring, right? Like it, that temperature, when it starts to head south, it goes there pretty quickly, right? And so there's a little bit of like it would be down to two windows and the kind of a stare down and who's going to be the last guy, who's going to win that night and keep their window up the longest. You know, just little games within a games that that went on. But it was it, it was it was a fun time. My um, I my son, when the when the Albu- when Albuquerque, when they moved to Albuquerque in 2002, uh, my son was just turning four. Uh, my daughter was was and would be born that that uh, winter. So it was my time had almost run out for my availability to do it that yeah. much, right? Yeah. Like there yeah. was you know yeah, you yeah. get into the point where uh, it would have been not fair to the family to be away that much. So I, I it was it was I hit the window almost perfect because I was just a, a kid who who could who could you know I was working different jobs and I was doing this freelancing and yeah. I was working the press box. I was like there was some some nights where I would be doing three or four different jobs. I would do the ball strike. I would do the Canadian press. Uh, game right up and then after the game maybe Gus sometimes Gus would be or Gus Collins the mm-hmm. score he would also be writing for the Tacoma Tribune we would sometimes yep. do um, strength and so I, yeah. I would so I would head down and grab quotes and feed them back to him and you know just uh, you know speaking of Tacoma Tacoma was the year this is so funny it, people will never believe that this actually happened this late but during the Canons era there was recreations that would go on so the tacoma radio they rather than traveling themselves they would recreate in the studio so every half inning he would call and say oh what happened and then someone would tell him what happened and he would do the old bat 
that yep. sound effect in the studio, and he would recreate it for the audience of Tacoma. That's <laughs> what I mean. Like, what other sport than baseball could do that, right? Like, it just, it happened. It happened. I can only imagine some of the broadcasters you ran into. Yeah, Mario um, uh, Pimbina, I think is his name, and I think he's uh, doing, he's kicked around a little bit. He was a minor league radio at the time, but now he's doing either Tigers or Angels uh, TV side now. Mm-hmm. And I remember he caught a ball on the fly. And I always remember him saying, and what an amazing catch by the broadcaster. <laughs> right, he came right up into his window. <laughs> <laughs> and things like that, right? Um, one guy, uh, he was the Vegas radio guy. He was a lawyer who, who just loved baseball, had a passion for baseball. I remember he quit being a lawyer to be a minor league yeah radio guy like that was Uh that was the level of commitment that same guy actually i saved him one time he left to go to the bathroom and the door closed behind him and locked so (laughs) i was a wiry guy i went in through the bathroom went over the top over the roof and down and i opened the door and just got him back on the air just as the first pitch the next inning was happening (laughs) so the oj simpson that 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 that, the car in 1994 Yeah, that happened on a Cannons game night, so that was super distracting. You had people running down to the other end where Russ Parker had his own private suite, and so that it was on the 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 the, the chase was on in the TV down there. Yeah. So we were trying to watch the baseball, but everybody was super distracted, wanting to know what was going on, and the so people between innings would run down to the other. <laughs> so again, time and place moment. I was at Burn Stadium that night. Oh, that is that is so incredible. Um, how how did you have a crash, Davis? Was there a, a ball player that you remember in the Cannons that was really good at the AAA level, never made it full time to the pros? Was there ever somebody like that for you? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I mean there were there were some veterans that uh, that came along. I'm trying to remember whether it was Jim Dodd, Craig Dodd. He was a guy that kind of. You, you, oh, he's going to the All-Star game. And, like, you thought, well, he must, he's going to make the major leagues. And then you didn't really realize that, no, he went to the All-Star game because he's better than everyone else because he's 28 and everyone else is 23. <laughs> you know, so you would start to have some of those, yeah, those yeah, veteran yeah. guys. Uh, not to the same degree that, that you would have those guys when it became, you know, and I wasn't really involved then, but you, you would have more of those character players when it's more of an independent where they would bring bring back players. Uh, often organizations, once you became a non-prospect, you had a little bit of value, but pretty soon they were moving on from you, unfortunately. But, yeah. uh, you know, we saw lots of but lots of good players that came through and, and did have some success. Darren Bragg is probably the guy that... that I remember that name. Yeah, like just wasn't his his major league career was not nearly as prolific as I would have expected. He was the all-star that season for the Cannons. I think he played center field and right. just just an awesome player. So sometimes guys just didn't have the careers you you thought. And uh, you know speaking in and, and then there was the opposite. You know Gus Collins um, it was always like, oh, he, Tino Martinez can't hit the curveball. He'll never make it. Can't hit the curveball. That was his thing. Can't hit the curveball. Well, Tino Martinez hit a lot of curveballs and had a very, very successful major league career. Sure, sure. Um, you know, I, 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 I mentioned earlier, I want to go back to it. You were the official scorer for a number of years. Talk about the pressure. Talk about, you know, how does one get that job? How does one prove to be worthy enough to be entrusted with scoring a baseball game? Yeah, well, first of all, there's not a lot of guys 
with that know the rules that you need to have a re like you need to know every single rule like yep. you have to know that inside out so in Calgary, there's not a lot of people that know baseball to that degree. Now, right. for me, I was there working right beside the guy, Gus Collins, that did it for many, many years. And and people, if they're like, I kind of know that name. Well, remember, he sang. He was kind of, he kind of looked like Harry Carey. And yep. he actually would sing Take Me Out to the Ball Game. Like, that was his At thing. the Cannons so, Games. At the Cannons yeah, Games, okay. yeah. So, so anyway, so, so. From from that, you know, he would often like, oh, I didn't see it, like head down. That was his line all the time. I didn't see it, <laughs> and then we describe what happened. Um, but so so I think from that you start to get a little bit of comfort that this guy knows the the ability to make those judgment calls because sometimes it was a bit of a it was a bit of a what do you think there? And I'm like, yeah, that that had to be a hit. Like I don't think he could have even got him out if he fielded it right. Like those kind of decisions mm-hmm. you go through when you're deciding whether it was a hit or or an error. So so that's you know I think so just from from proximity and and having a chance to dabble a little bit I was kind of and then at that time I'd been with working for the Cannons for probably ten years right so that you know they knew me well um, but interesting like there is a lot of pressure and this didn't happen to me but it happened to Jack Newman so Jack Newman used sure. to do some scoring as well it was mostly Gus or Fred Collins and it was uh, Jack as well and this happened with Jack where and I always remember this I wasn't there for it but I remember the story um, bases loaded two out guy hits kind of a sinking line drive outfielder runs in goes off his mitt and uh, falls in so so Jack calls it uh, an error so it, in other words, the guy's credited with an out in his in his at bat, despite the fact that three runs came in mm-hmm. and he ended up at third base, right? So, or second base, he wasn't a very wasn't a very fast guy. But anyway, after the game, this guy was so upset with that call because he thought it should have been a three run double. Instead, he gets an out. He cleats on and everything. Came up to the press box looking for Jack after the game. <laughs> Like a player came through after the game, came all the way around, came through the crowd, up the stairs, into the box. Like he, that was, and yeah. that, so that's in a nutshell, because you know, just think about, think about the era we live in now. Like, and it's going to be no different for minor league baseball. If you're, if you're an organization and you're looking for talent, you don't have to be at the games. Every single game you can watch a video of, right? Well, back then, no. Like, so, so these guys, they're, they're, their livelihood was based on their stat line yep. and their opinion, yep. right? Yep. And so when you take away three RBIs from a guy who's trying to make it to the major leagues like that, that individual play was a huge deal to that player, right? So so you would you would run into that um, those close plays quite often. Like once or twice a game, there would be a call where there, there was not going to be pleasing everyone. Mm-hmm. If you either called that play, if you called it an error, um, then you have – the guy that you just took a hit away from now he's mad if you call it a hit then you have the pitching coach on the other side saying look there's no chance like that's like that 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 had to be an error right like my pitcher got a ground ball like that's his job that guy's got to field that right so you you always were in between a hitting coach and a pitching coach right my little trick of the trade which is something that i learned from from gus is he said so if you have a play and you can't come up with, you have to decide something, but if you're not sure about it or they call, we have a, a phone in the press box. And if that phone rang, when you're filling out on paper, the long box score after the game, you knew that was trouble. You knew that was from one of the, Managers. one of the clubhouses. Yeah. yeah. Um, anyway, but if, if there was one of those, 
so I would say, okay, you know what? I remember the play. I will check uh, and I will talk and I will, I will let you know tomorrow. So I would always take it. I, I would, I'm not deciding it right now. Yep. And what my trick was, was to come early the next day. And then I'd knock on the door of the umpire's room. Mm-hmm. And so I'd knock on there and, and those guys, you know, I remember, <laughs> remember one time I, I, at the door, yeah, come on in. I go in this one big, big umpire, big dude. And he's sitting on this little tiny fold up stool and he's got his needle and thread out, and he's sewing a little, little. He's sewing up something on his uniform, right? <laughs> like it was just such a funny sight, right? This sure. behemoth of a man who could have crushed me, and here he is on this sewing. little stool sewing. Yeah. But anyway, so so I would say, hey guys, I just want to run a call past you from the night before. They always knew exactly the play because they probably sure. were like, okay, and and so there you go. You would have three umpires because that's how that's what the size of the crews were, and um, and I would just use them as kind of that litmus test. What did you guys think? And then I always had no problem going back to that that pitching coach saying, you know what, I thought about it. I I think we got it right. I checked with the you know the umpires. They were close. They saw it the same way as me. And end of story right so so that was a, a way of resolving those kind of uh, gray calls but it was uh i loved it i, I loved it just um, it was it was fun I, it wasn't fun the year that i broke my wrist and i had to fill out these long box scores with my left hand i, I, I write with my right and, and those that were those that were working at the time will know because it took me so much longer and it was painful to watch me have to print really because nothing comes natural when you're writing with your wrong hand right so you're forming your o's you're forming your a's that you just just rip them off right and so that whole process there was this really long box score that we then fax into the league right so i had to fill that out and uh so filling it out one summer i had to for about two or three months i had to fill it out with my left (laughs) left hand But Jeez. fun, fun, fun to do that. I'd like to get back into that at some point. Uh, you know, maybe I, I actually uh, <clears throat> put out an invitation to the Okotoks Dogs. I said, if you ever need someone, I've got lots on the resume I did for many years. Let me know. <laughs> what What for you is the legacy or is there a legacy of the Calgary Cannons? Uh, the legacy is, what would the legacy be? the logo <laughs> um i don't know like it, the further we go it's be, the more nostalgic you have to be there's there's less and less you know like people now they don't uh, there's there's not a a memory of the cannons but the, the the cannons were that was the summer thing like it was yeah. it was right there they they shared a parking lot with with stamps so you never were deciding one or the other you meshed in there nicely uh, but but it was just it was a glory it was the glory days of, of baseball in calgary um it was before you know some of the some of the things that led to calgary losing its franchises as players and prospects became bigger commodities for organizations they needed them to be treated really well you really had to look after those players um and so one of the problems with burn stadium is the facility you know the Mm -hmm. the the, if you wanted a guy to throw on the side um or you know like they would sometimes you know go under the stands or and there was just there wasn't there wasn't places to there weren't you know it was just a really kind of 
AAA parks just became really – there were some really super nice AAA stadiums, and Burn Stadium wasn't one. Burn yeah. Stadium was a, was a great ballpark from my perspective, but it wasn't if you're in an organization that wanted top-rate facilities for your star players, your star prospects, right? So, so, so – but before that happened, right, like, you know, before that was a thought and the best players came through and it was Danny Tartable hitting 40 homers that first year and, you know, like – you know, Harold Reynolds, who was a regular on the MLB, like he played second base that first season. It was those guys like before that became a thing and your best players were playing AAA and, and were playing in Calgary. Like it was fantastic. It was such a high level of ball because so many of those guys went on to have prolific major league seasons. So it was the legacy is being able to see a lot of really good major league players. And I'm just talking about the guys that were on the home team. You know, think about all the guys. Oh, that yeah, they came through visiting teams. Absolutely. Um, it was a chance to, to see those guys and in a stadium that was packed, you know, once we get beyond that April, May that we talked about, mm-hmm. you know, that was, that that's the legacy for me is, is great major league players knocking on the door just before they became household names in, in major league baseball and seeing them in packed stadiums at Burns stadium. Um, it was just a uh, fun, great, a great era for baseball in the city. Just a thought or two on on post cannons baseball in Calgary. Of course, two two cracks at it in Burns Stadium with independent pro ball, and it, it never really worked. And you mentioned it before, and I do want to kind of talk to you a little bit about a, about what the Okotoks dogs have have become and and the void that they fill. But just that that kind of post uh, you know cannons lay uh, you know not legacy, but post cannons era. It's it's been hit and miss, hasn't it? Yeah, and I think what hurt the teams that tried to move into Burn Stadium afterwards is there was a sourness. There was a sourness to the fan base. First of all, your baseball fan base in a hockey city isn't um, is going to be small. It's it's smaller than than yep. everybody else. Um, so there was a, I think because of you know there was a little bit of just the politics that got involved. And when the team eventually moved, I think I think team I think some of the some of your fans got got a little bit bitter about that and and so trying to kind of resurrect but but a but a lesser version it's mm-hmm. like, like there's a reason the headliner goes last if you go to a you know a comedy show right like yeah. you don't want to have the best act and then be the guy coming up after the best act right so i think it was a struggle that way and and it it and that's you know and that's where you got to was you couldn't get and and the, you couldn't it's it, it because you know teams wanted to um you know you you were limited to being like an independent league because the big you know teams didn't want to travel to Canada if they didn't have to. Yeah. So you had all those kind of roadblocks. And I think what works now in terms of, so that's what maybe didn't work with those franchises in Calgary. And what works about Okotoks to me is it becomes the town's team. It's their thing. This is, this is their baby. Right. Yep. So, and I, and I think that's, and I often think about that in sports. I often think if you, you think about the Argos, playing downtown toronto right like that just feels like the wrong fit right like yep. when they were yep. you know you need to be somewhere where you can be kind of a, a bigger deal to a smaller community right and i think that's what makes the dogs work now is is it's a team that has this community the players are all billeting in that community like it's just it's all about that community and um and and us in the south calgary that that pretend we're from okotoks and uh, <laughs> 
and that's and I, and I love it like and you see you know now you go out to Okotoks and you know you see at the end of the year when they bring out the billets on the field and it's it's that same it's a very community they play that up the, the players enjoy that and and that's what what makes that work and and you have a, a loyal a loyal fan base and it's 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 it couldn't you know like the crowds that you're getting at dogs at the um yeah at Siemens Stadium in Okotoks you know they're maybe at par with what the cannons were and the cannons are drawing bigger back in their heyday. Uh, but because of the level of ball it is now and the way it is, those crowds seem massive and it's just nice to see huge crowds out for, for games again. Well, and baseball again, goes back to, it's such a, a unique game in a nice, clean, beautiful, tiny ballpark. It's excellent, right? Yeah. You don't need, it doesn't need to be massive. It doesn't need yeah. to be big. Yeah. You know, it's it's an amazing experience. Um, just staying within the city limits, does professional baseball ever come back to Calgary? If it does, how? Yeah, that's a good question. Well, I, I think it has to be, it would have to be short season. We talked about long season, short season. It would have to be a league that's not starting until middle of June kind of thing, so you're not competing with the weather and the and the distractions yeah. of, any, of hockey playoffs. Um, it has to come in bulk though it can't just come to calgary you kind of need a calgary edmonton vancouver road trip like yep. that's yep. that's what what you need to get that caliber of ball is teams need to be able to go on a road trip and not just come to calgary and turn around and come back right and, yep and you know god bless the trappers who who tried to do it on their own for a bit but then you just ran into the pressures and it was not their fault that well the they trappers were th- lost their third in pcl attendance in their final yeah. year like they, it was not an attendance issue for Edmonton. But the league, the league basically said, "Look, yeah. you know, you're going to either have to kind of come halfway here on our cost to go to Canada." And so there just became some roadblocks, yep. right? Yeah. And and that was unfortunate. So you'd need to be a bit of a group effort. Um, I, I think, like anything, like I always like to think the crowd will still come back. That there still are those baseball fans. Um, it doesn't hurt if um, if the if the Blue Jays could get good again because that be, you then. Be kind of awaken the baseball fan in general and we saw that when the Jays had some success a few years back as you started to you know all of a sudden and you were Mm-hmm. That was heyday sports radio for you, right? Like you oh, remember boy. that that suddenly, Love the suddenly you, you could Yay. talk about baseball and people would actually be interested. Yeah, no, you're right. right. I, I and, and it was the yeah. Jays in particular, but no. at least it got baseball back into that, the conversation. That, that's exactly it. Yeah, I mean, I if you could have a double A team in a league which you could have rivalries, I think it could work. But until I and and the only reason I say double A is because of what you were talking about is I think that's the evolution. You know, your your superstars and your best players are really starting to come directly out of double A. You know, triple A is not the development level that it used to be. It's still good. There's still players that come out of that. The Jays prove that with Buffalo. But I think you really want to be in that double A level now. Yeah, and the other thing that uh, is always going to work, I think, against baseball is baseball needs to reinvent itself a little bit now because the the you know. Back then, it's like, well, what are you doing this spring? Soccer or baseball? That was it. Those are your two choices. <laughs> Nobody was ever thinking about signing up for lacrosse or yep. mountain yep. biking or, yep. you know, like all these different activities now. So, so and baseball, like, which is why the Mike Soroka story is so good, is how do you get good at baseball in a city where the season's so small? Um, you know, like, and, and, and so you have, like, if you're – 
if you're a parent, you want your kids running around like baseball is kind of like you're station to station. You're standing in the outfield. You're going to be freezing in those kind of in those May, June months. Right. Yeah, I, know. I know. So so I, I, I worry about it. I worry about it at kind of at that grassroots level and those kids and how many are getting into baseball just because there's so many other alternatives. And I think it's a great game. Um, but that said, you know, I, I do uh, have had the privilege of, of knowing some of my son's friends who went on to have, uh, you know, pretty good success and play university or whatever. And I'll tell you, watching kids play baseball when they get good at it is fun. What a great, what a great way to spend the summer sitting on a lawn chair, sitting in the bleacher at, at uh, you know, that, that nice ballpark with the fence and, and watching them throw curveballs and just steal bases and it's they're like little people out there so watching that level as much as um you know there's not a lot of it as i wish there was more of it but those that do pursue it you know there are some good there is some good level of ball still being played at that at that junior level you just wish the whole thing could be a big a bit more of a kind of a bigger presence is is are the dogs good enough for darren haynes are you do you go and pine for a little bit more? Do you go and, and I don't want to take anything away from the players or anything like that. It's got a role. They've done an amazing job with it. But as someone who was talking about Edgar Martinez and, you know, seeing some of these other guys, is it is it good enough for you just on a Tuesday night to go and hang out? It is for me because for me, you know, you, 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 you're in a, I'm in a different place in life now, I guess, where yep. now I really enjoy an evening out and, uh, the ball is very, like if we could put them side by side, the caliber is, it's, you'd have to be a pretty astute eye to see the difference on most nights, right? There are select plays, but, but it's a, it's a, it's a good level of ball. These are guys that are yep. open to get drafted. So it's not, so it's, it's, it's very, very similar, but I think, make it a nice evening. Um, that caliber, I think works for me. I, I do as, as someone that gets right into my sports, um, I'd love to, to, cause you know, I, I'm, I'm in fantasy leagues. I'm in mm-hmm. baseball leagues yep. where it would be, I would love to have a guy that actually is on my reserve list to, to be able to go see him in person. Cause he's coming through on someone's triple A team. Like yep. I would think that's fantastic because I'm a hardcore baseball fan. I love baseball. I'm not just, I'm just not sure how many, of those fans there are out there. So you, now you can't use uh, Seaman Stadium because you've already talked about it. To end this podcast, I'll ask you the question that I ask all of my guests. No, no parameters. You just answer it the way you want to. Give me the Darren Haynes hidden Calgary gem. Give me your hidden Calgary gem. Does not have to be baseball related. Does not have, no parameters. Whatever you want. The, the hidden gem in Calgary. Yeah, and area obviously. But but not even baseball. No, anything you want. Anything you want. Oh goodness. Um, By the way, Lou brought up Seaman Stadium as his hidden gem. Because <laughs> <So. laughs> <laughs> that is one for, oh, sure. for sure. It's amazing. It's amazing how many. Because unless you live in the south part of Calgary, chances are you haven't made that drive yet, right? Um, ooh. I don't even even know how to answer that. Um, hmm. Is there a coffee shop you like to go? Is there a park you like to go? Is there a place that makes something or sells something that you go to or collect from? It's really the intention of this question is I buy you a little time to think about it is to, you know, as we get through this, we want to give people some things to look forward to and some some idea and some advice when we all get back together. 
Oh, I think what's happened is you've left it too too broad. Um, oh, man. If I had said, give me your best restaurant. Oh, I don't have a restaurant, but I really like this park. Or if I'd said, give me your best park. Oh, I don't like a park, but can I tell you about this coffee shop? I'm not going to leave it too narrow. It's got to be yeah. broad. Yeah, yeah. Well, um, there is that pancake place you took me to the one, uh, one time we went. Yeah, I don't know. Okay. You know, I, and I, I, but it has to be a place that's that's existing right now, right? I didn't put any parameters on it. I said, okay. "Give me your hidden Calgary gem." Okay, my, I would my, interpret that that way, but I'm I'm open to interpretation. Okay, and I think there might still be a location, maybe in Airdrie. We're gonna have to look it up. But okay. there was a burger place mm. that I used to love, absolutely love. Uh, the fries were fantastic, skin on the big fries, just the way they cooked them were perfect the burgers were fantastic and it was called burger inn and the burger inn was uh the one that i used to go to all the time was on um on just off of 17th ave and 4th street um there it might still be down there i'm not sure and now i have the craving i gotta be honest there used to be one on boat trail uh, i know that one isn't there anymore but it was a and it was a and it was a it was a, a, a calgary family as i recall because they had the clipping from the newspaper on the wall that were in oil and gas and when there was uh, kind of in when they hit kind of one of those busts of the cycle they jumped out and opened up this restaurant but it was fantastic and i would you know whenever i was meeting a friend for lunch or whatever you want to go for burger it was never one of the chains it was the burger inn that was the place to eat so that would be my my long time hidden gem in terms of a little restaurant love it love it thank you sir this was good i mean as we've gone on this journey we've talked to hockey and we talked to football we've talked to other sports but you know it was that conversation we had a couple weeks ago where you were really really missing baseball and it hadn't even started and i thought you know i do want to kind of include the cannons in this you know as we talk about calgary and the history and and things it was you know albeit brief it was a very important part of the sports history yeah and just fun you, you talk about opening day and it's one of the flashbacks i'll just leave you with one more kind Please. of anecdote um and it was uh, you know so on on opening the home opener you would introduce the players from both sides, right? And the, the, you know, so the cannons would take to the field uh, because the cannons were starting in the field. It's the home team, right? The visitors wouldn't take to the field because they're batting, right? But they would still come out and acknowledge. So there was a guy, and I can't, I think it was maybe Tacoma. Um, so, and, it, and we, it took a couple batters before we realized what was going on. The same guy took the, took the bow and the wave to the crowd for every player right so <laughs> and, and he kept so so he came out and kind of waved his hand and then and then you know like batting second the second baseman and then out the other side of the dugout so he went down and then he'd roll up his sleeve or he'd do something different and then he'd turn and acknowledge and then it's like and batting third the catcher and then he had a knee pad that he had somehow managed to strip get on and then again he turns and acknowledges right uh, we were laughing and laughing and i i still wonder how many people actually picked up on it but it was the same guy who <laughs> took every one of all nine of the introductions it's just those are the kind of funny things that oh. that would go on and just oh you know it was a lot of a lot of great memories um uh, like lifetime memories just a lot of fun had yeah and again I, I i come back to it it may not be my number one sport but boy do i appreciate what it is and the culture that comes with it and i worry we lose a little bit of it you know i i 
like, there's a reason why there's so many really good baseball movies because it lends itself to entertainment. It really does. Yeah, and I think about in the press box there, like like nobody's checking their phone, nobody's looking at like that's it. It's conversation. It was just yep. there enjoying a nice evening and storytelling and, and, and having some laughs. And it's, it's, you know, without sounding like the old man, but think about like, that doesn't happen anymore. No. Right now, everybody's no. skimming their phone and whatnot, but that back then, no, <laughs> like the out of town scoreboard popping out of a dot matrix printer is just <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> You're the best. Thanks, Darren. Appreciate you doing this. Okay. Take care. What a, a fun conversation. Uh, love telling baseball stories. Uh, love hearing baseball stories. And, and Darren Haynes, that was great. I mean, the hockey stuff at the beginning, good too. Um, one of the appreciations we're coming out of uh, of this crisis right now is uh, the printed word and, and the work of journalists. And I, and I cannot recommend The Athletic enough if you're like me and you like old school writing, sports writing, you know, here in Calgary, we've got Darren and, and Scott Crookshank, although Darren's laid off right now, in fairness, he talked about that. Scott Crookshank and Eric Dehatchuk, um, some of some of the best writers going. So make sure you check out The Athletic. Thanks, Darren, for stopping by. Uh, make sure you check out, if you enjoyed this podcast, share it with your friends, uh, especially you deadbeats in the 7HL where Darren uh, organizes, and I play uh, infrequently in the summer. You deadbeats ought to be listening to all of this stuff. Anyway, that, that's just a, a little editorial statement. But if you're not a deadbeat 7HL player but you enjoyed it, make sure you tell somebody, all right? Make sure you pass along uh, the podcast. Would love uh, more and more Calgarians to appreciate and understand what we got here uh, and the people, that the fabric of, of the sporting community. That's been the cool part of, of these conversations. So previous guests. Uh, include Erica Weeb, uh, Trevor Hoffbauer, uh, as well, Cassie Campbell-Pascal, uh, Rob Cookson, Randy Chevrier. We've, we've had a ton of, of great guests on here, so make sure you go back and, and revisit them. They were all fun conversations. But thanks for joining us. Thanks for checking in. Thanks for spending some time. This has been an original Six Feet Conversation podcast at Sport Calgary.